morning and welcome to the Gym Owners Fitness Business Podcast. Today's episode is proudly supported and sponsored by Fitness Registration, the modern alternative for fitness business professionals. Today, I'm speaking to Jack Thomas. So who is Jack? Jack is the founder and CEO of BASE and, and the host of the Fitness Business Asia podcast and the Build Your Base show. Jack has a diploma of personal training qualification from the UK, as well as certifications with Precision Nutrition, Level 1 Coach, CrossFit, the Spartan Race, and of course, he's an avid kettlebell trainer. Jack has run numerous events for Adidas Thailand, was a men's health columnist for two years, and is a regular speaker at Asia's biggest fitness business event, the Fit Summit, which is also now known as the world's biggest online virtual event. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Mel. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. We've been planning to do it for a while, so glad that we got around to it. We certainly have. Now, Jack, I'm just like blown away by the list of credentials that you have. Your CV is very, very, um, very, very cool to look at, I must admit. You've got three locations. You've won Asia's Gym of the Year. You're a sponsored uh, Adidas athlete. But what you know what I really want to know is how on earth did Jack Thomas end up in Asia? Yeah, so that's a question that I do get asked very often. I'll give you the quick story now. So okay. I left school and home at 16, um, went into the world of work, so I was working in retail for a while, and then got a very corporate job in banking. But it wasn't like a fancy, high-paid banking job. It was just as a cashier, um, pretty pretty low-paid, didn't really enjoy it. Um, but I felt there was opportunities there. After a year or so, I just completely lost faith in the whole corporate world. I realized it absolutely wasn't for me. And then I took a two-week holiday to Thailand to visit a friend of mine that was traveling and during those two weeks absolutely reached the realization that I did not want to have a corporate job back in the UK. So came back to the UK, immediately started planning for my return to Asia. But the original plan was to spend about six to nine months in Southeast Asia and then actually come to your neck of the woods over in Australia. I had a, a year-long working visa. Now, the short version is I never got to Australia. <laughs> I ended up staying in Asia. It's 15, 16 years later. But just to give you the brief 16 years, I was teaching for a little while for like a bit of traveling experience. Then I set up a clothing export business, which went very well for about five or six years, but took a sharp dip in 2008, 2009, in line with the economic crisis. Then I got into the fitness industry. More is something I thought I would be passionate about, but I did see a fantastic opportunity for high-level premium personal training. I didn't realize just how big that opportunity was at the time, but as the industry has grown here, fortunately, I've grown with it and you know been a part of that growth here as well in Thailand, um, and now you know hoping to be part of that growth in Asia. It's entering a very, very exciting time. So I worked for a studio for five years and then set up my own studio four years ago called Base. Since then, we've won a few fancy awards, Asia's Gym of the Year, Bangkok's Best Studio from Class Pass Awards. We've opened three locations, three studios now. We have a team of 30 coaches and started a podcast like yourself now. So lots has happened in the last 15 or 16 years since I came to Asia. Very happy to be here and really, really excited for the future of fitness in this region. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, and congratulations on that success. You must be very, very proud of the work that not only you have achieved, but also your team that's behind you. Um, Jack, how did, when you moved from the UK to, to Asia, how did you adapt to the culture? Because it's not like you sort of went 
to another place that was exactly the same as where you came from. So how did you adapt to the culture? Yeah, it's a good question. That was kind of part of the appeal for me, that it was a different culture. Now, it wasn't so wildly different. You know, Thailand is relatively westernized. If you live in central Bangkok, people generally speak English. So it's not like you're living in the middle of nowhere. So there were kind of your Western comforts here and there, which I do quite like. You know, you have your Starbucks, you have your nice cinemas, you have your nice restaurants. So that kind of makes assimilating yourself into the culture much easier, I think. But for me, it was part of the appeal that it was different to the UK. Like, that's kind of what I found different. That's what I found interesting and exciting. My friends had been to Australia and had worked there for a year, so that it was kind of similar culturally to the UK, and that just didn't quite appeal to me as much. When I first started living here, it was difficult, I'll be honest, just to get to know people, just to meet other expats. The expat community wasn't quite as wide and diverse as it is now, um, but I just found living here really exciting and the business was going well, the clothing export business at the time, so that kind of kept me here in, in, in Thailand. Over the years, I've made some really good friends here. Of course, I've built a business and we have our, our team, you know, which I work with and love and you know see every day. So it's over time, you just become more part of the furniture here, if you will, and you can't really see yourself going back. And it's, it's kind of interesting because when I first went back to the UK to visit sort of 15, 14 years ago, I was like, yeah, you know, Bristol's pretty cool. That's where I'm from in the UK. I'll come back here at some point. I was telling my parents, hey, don't worry, guys, give me a year or so and I'll be back. And then year by year, I've become more sure that I won't be going back to the UK. And 15 years later, I'm absolutely sure that I will stay here in Asia. This is where my business is. This is where I think great opportunities lie. And now I feel very much, you know, ingrained inside culture, if you will. So, yeah, it's kind of happened step by step. But now I can't really see myself anywhere else other than Asia, really. Oh, that's pretty cool to hear that. Now, I want to know, how did you transition from a clothing business into the fitness industry? Was it that the business, the clothing business took a dive and then you just said, hey, I'm going to go join the gym to fill in time? How did that transition happen? Yeah, it was um, it was a difficult time for me because the business started suffering. I actually lost motivation for it as well. So the little things that I used to really enjoy about running that business, I actually began to resent. And I recognized that happening. You know, I used to really love going to our local suppliers, finding new designs, sending them, uh, taking photos of them and sending them through to our clients back in the UK. And I, I kind of realized one day when I was in one of the clothing markets here that I just did not want to be there. And it was a bit of a moment of realization because I used to love that. And when I was first doing it, I was so excited by going to these hustling, bustling markets in central Bangkok and kind of finding new designs. And so I kind of realized in that moment that maybe a change was on the horizon. And then with the economic crisis, it kind of just pushed that further and just made that a quicker transition. I was looking to make some extra money as the business was going downhill. So I was doing some football coaching part-time at some of the international schools. So that kind of gave me a little bit of a taste of fitness coaching. But I think the biggest factor for me stepping into this industry was going to some of the chain gyms here and seeing just how low the standards of personal training were at the time. You know, it was just about counting reps. Most of the coaches were on their phone, but I knew some coaches were doing well on the premium end, offering a great service, traveling around the city, going to people's condos, doing sessions in parks, and they were actually doing really, really well and charging quite good money for it as well. So I kind of did the maths in my head. I saw that the standards generally were quite poor. I knew that I could, you know, throw some passion into it and throw some energy into the role. So I was quite confident that I, I could do that. 
And so that kind of sparked it. Did the maths, worked out that I could make decent money and I could live here quite comfortably and just saw, you know, an opportunity in that particular space in the premium end. As I said before, I did not see it flourishing and developing in the way that it did. But once I got into the industry and then a year later, the small studio I was working for, we opened kind of the first boutique fitness training studio in Bangkok called The Lab. And that's where I remained for five years. And then we really saw overnight just how many ties started coming to do premium, fairly expensive boutique training. And that was kind of the birth of the boutique scene here. And so then I really saw the potential and I saw just how exciting it was and just how many opportunities there were. And since then, it's absolutely exploded. You know, we were pretty much the first boutique studio. Since then, we've got rhythm cycling, we've got Pilates, bar, Physique 57 have come in. Of course, base has opened up. Like now there's boutique fitness training studios everywhere. So I've kind of been through, as a consumer, first of all, and seeing the first big box gyms opening up here and then opening the, or being part of the team that opened the first boutique studio. I've really seen the whole industry develop pretty much from conception to where it is today, which is quite a developed market. Jack, let's just take a great big step back for a moment. You said that you were standing in the market and you just had this this moment of reality where you said, I don't want to do this anymore. What was the trigger point for that moment though? Were you just standing there and it was cold and it was wet or it was windy or you were bothering? Like what was the trigger point that you just said, I don't want to do this anymore? I think it was the realisation that the very thing that I used to love had now become something that I really didn't like. And that was that it was busy there was a lot of people around, it was hot, you know, it was just, it's kind of your classic Asian market crazy scene, really, but I, I loved that at the beginning, that was like part of the draw for me, just that yeah. excitement of being in that environment, and I think it was just that realisation that I used to love this, now I don't, and that's a problem, because this is like a big part of my role, and it's a big part of what I do, and even just the, yeah, the sent, taking photos of the new stock and sending it through to our clients, pretty much every stuff. Uh, step of the process I just wasn't really enjoying like I used to and so I think having that contrast to how I felt before and how I felt now was really what made me realize yeah I, I can't do this for much longer and so when the business started going down I really do believe I could have turned it around that was possible the business could have kept going but I can't do that if my heart and soul isn't in it I can't put in that extra effort, that extra energy, that extra time if I'm just not feeling it. You know, I, I kind of knew that wasn't possible. So that was when I kind of hit that crossroads. Like, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to go back to the UK? I actually considered coming to Australia. And then the idea of getting into the fitness industry came up. Do you feel that there's a lot of fitness business owners out there right now that perhaps have lost that drive and passion because of the current global circumstances that we're in now? Yes, I do, and I don't think necessarily because of the current global circumstances. Of course, that could have been something that pushed it forward, but actually I think many people get into the business side or owning a studio part of the fitness industry and realize it isn't everything that they thought it would be. You know, they were a coach, they were doing well, they had a good client base, they had busy classes. So for them, their next step, the obvious next progression is to open up your own business or your own studio. And I think people often realize it isn't what you thought it would be. And if you love yoga and you love teaching people about yoga, you've got busy yoga classes and some one-to-one -one clients and you're just loving life, 
if you then open up your own studio and you start recruiting people, employing people, you have to do accounts, you have to basically run a business, you might not be doing any yoga teaching, you know, 16 months, uh, you know, 12 months, 18 months down the line. So I think then people often have this realization that, wow, actually life was much better before. I was possibly making more money before as a coach as well. So I think it's very, very common in our industry, full stop. Of course, I think the current situation has sped that up, I think, and you know, if business wasn't so great before and you weren't really enjoying it much before, now you have a real decision to make as a business owner. Do you want to continue this? You know, put yourself in my shoes when I was thinking, right, do I want to continue this? Do I want to carry on? Can I put the energy and soul that's needed to make this business good again? Or should I perhaps choose another path? And I think that's a, a question that many, many gym owners will be asking themselves now or should be asking themselves now. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Jack. You know, I have to Look, I have to be really honest, you know, when we went into the first lockdown here, uh, somebody, you know, said to me, uh, after how did you cope, you know, all those questions that people keep asking, and I said, I actually found it peaceful. I said, I thoroughly enjoyed going in and doing, you know, the Facebook Live classes like I've told you, you know, doing what comes to them, uploading them and providing, you know, um, products for our members, but what I really didn't miss and this sounds terrible but what I didn't miss was that accountability to everybody I was actually able to go do the Facebook live class finish the class turn the lights out walk out lock the door come home and that walk from the group fitness room to the car was pleasant it was quiet and I didn't feel like I had to stop and talk to everybody or I had to micromanage the front desk and I actually found that the lockdown period gave me a lot of time that I was able to allocate to do things that I wanted to do without being accountable to others um, and just what you said then, what a great time to sit back and really ask yourself, is this what I truly want to do? Um, and like what you said and I know that there's hundreds and thousands of club owners exactly the same as what you said. They opened their businesses because they were passionate about teaching or coaching, but then find themselves 18 months or two years down the track that they're not even doing what they were passionate about. And, you know, instead they're looking after teams of 20 and 25. Have you ever found yourself in that position throughout your journey with, with BASE? Sorry, I didn't quite catch that, Mel. Which, which position? So have you ever found yourself in that position where you've gone home from work um, in the last couple of years and just gone, wow, I'm not loving this right now? Honestly, not really with base. I think um, there's been difficult moments, don't get me wrong. There's been tough times for the business. The first six months especially were very hard for us. So that was um, you know, difficult for sure. It was stressful. It was worrying. You're wondering, if, are people going to buy into this concept? Are we going to be able to pay the bills later down the line? Am I going to need to get further investments? So there were some nervy times during the first six months. But then our first January was big. Things started picking up from there, and we just got into a more uh, comfortable position financially. So that kind of laid some of those initial fears to rest. Uh, this, you know, I, it's funny you should talk about lockdown. I remember when we knew we had to lock down here, and that first day was like, you're kind of in shock a little bit. You know, three yeah. days previous, I couldn't see a lockdown coming because we only had about 80 or so cases, and I just didn't think that was a thing that was going to happen, as it was the whole world lockdown pretty much regardless of whatever stage they were at. And so in that initial day, yeah, I wouldn't say dejected, but just kind of like shocked. And we actually had a COVID case at base that we found out about that day as well. It was a week previous. So that set into motion 
uh, a whole chain of events so we had to resolve that we had to speak to staff we had to speak to clients we had to get a message out publicly so that was just completely manic for about 48 hours and unfortunately the person that had COVID at base they didn't catch it at base so they came to base whilst they uh, had COVID they were fine his family were fine and no one else caught it at base so once that had all kind of subsided I guess you don't as a business owner and as you know we had 50 people in our company you don't really have time to feel sorry for yourself, I feel. I feel such a duty and a responsibility to them, uh, all of our coaches, all of our team. And that's kind of one of the main drivers for me as well. It's not just about building base and building myself up. It's about building our team up. And that's really what I love. And I actually get just as much satisfaction from building my coaches up now than I did from training my first personal training clients 10 years ago. So that kind of trumps any feelings of like, oh, you know, do I really want to do this? Is this... Um, you know, I'm, do I feel positive about the outlook of the future? It's like that's the thing that kind of kicks me into gear when I, when I need to. And then once you start seeing positive traction, I think it just kind of snowballs from there. So after the initial shock of lockdown and after dealing with the COVID case, just kicked into gear because instinctively we knew we had to do that. And then, like yourself, after a week or so, it's like, okay, we're in a rhythm now. We've got an online offering. We've got online personal training. And everything just starts to kind of fall into place a little bit more, if you can say that in a time like lockdown. Um, and then I, I can definitely uh, resonate with what you're saying. There are those – it was a different time. Not necessarily like a worse time, but just definitely different. You know, I was going into the studio on my own and just working from there and just seeing it quiet with nobody there was um, surreal. But yeah. also, yeah, kind of peaceful. I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it's and unless you sort of experienced it, it's really hard to explain. You know, oh, I've got to open the front door. Oh, I've got to turn the alarms off. And then you walk into this great big facility and you just look out and there's nobody, absolutely nobody there. And you go in and you do what you've got to do and then you reverse everything and you walk out. And it's it's really quite, yeah, as you said, it's quite surreal. And unless you've experienced it, it's very, very hard um, to explain to others, what are some of the resources that Jack Thomas uses to keep him on track in both business and in your personal life? Podcast is one of them. So I think I first listened to your podcast before I set up mine. So that very much keeps me educated. You know, it's just such a fantastic way to learn when I'm traveling around the city. Actually, quick story on how I started my podcast is about two and a half years ago, I was listening to a lot of music as I was going between our two locations at the time and I actually just got kind of a bit bored of music you hear music at work I listen to music at home when I'm working I was listening to music on my headphones and I was like hey podcast I used to listen to those years ago let's check them out so I just searched for fitness business your podcast came up a ton of other ones came up and just started listening to podcasts from around the world and some of them were decent some of them weren't and I just realized then that hey it'd be really cool if there was one for Asia there's nothing really talking to anyone in Asia. It's the US, it's a little bit in Australia, and there's quite a few from the UK. And so I kind of decided to do the podcast, which I wanted to hear. I thought it'd be also a great opportunity to educate our staff on the business side. Some of them had expressed an interest to learn more about the business side of it, and also to connect with others in the region, to help kind of build the fitness industry up. So that was kind of how I got into, into podcasting. So that's a resource that I definitely use a lot. Um, other resources, do you mean in terms of like running the business? Um, yeah, so what do you do? What does Jack do to educate himself? I mean, you and I both know there's all the virtual events out there. Obviously, we can't go to live conventions. But is there something that you do 
that's away from fitness business that educates you. Like I love getting onto, you know, the Harvard Business Review. You know, I, I like to follow all the quirky stuff. What does Jack do that's outside of fitness business that still gives you that that education? Mm. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, podcasts are my main resource. They're just reading, and the, the books that I read are rarely to do with fitness business. You know, they're usually um, uh, generally just about yeah, either business or just developing yourself. Um, and not all podcasts I listen to are fitness business as well. You know, I love how I built this, hearing the stories of people that have built big, great businesses. And I really find business case studies very interesting, just hearing yeah. how a business either failed or how a business succeeded. Um, I think amongst my sort of friends in wider circle, people often come to me for advice on business, which is which is great. I really enjoy that, and I'm always happy to help out people where I can. And I, I actually really, one of the reasons I'm so happy to do it, it's not just a selfless act in helping people. I actually really enjoy that process of hearing people's business problems, suggesting uh, potential solutions, like trying to help them out. And I think by going through that process with different people in different industries, there's certainly a lot that you can take into your industry as well. And then I become like a, a studier of uh, people who are leading their industry. Um, and I, I do this in the fitness industry, so whenever I go abroad, which probably isn't gonna be for a while now, but if I'm in London, or me and my girlfriend went to New York and LA a few years ago, we went to all the top fitness studios to see what they're doing. Now it's not a case of like, oh, we like that, we're gonna copy that little part and add it into our concept. It's really seeing how they create the whole experience. So it's how easy is it to book online? How did we even find out about the studio? You know, often we Google top studios in New York and just see what ones come up. So it's interesting to see which ones have managed to position themselves well from a marketing perspective there. If it looks attractive on social media, on their website, we would book the class. How easy is that to do? How do they greet us as a first time member that comes into that studio? What little things do they do to create the experience or to uh, strengthen the brand? Perhaps in the waiting area, they've got little pieces of art that are quite consistent with their brand. Perhaps the merchandise looks great. How are the bathrooms? How are the amenities? How do they follow up afterwards? And I do that a lot in the fitness industry, pretty much every major city that I go to, but also in other industries as well. If I go to an absolute leading restaurant in Bangkok or go to a really nice hotel, I'm always trying to take note of the little things that they do that you might not consciously notice, but do help to create this amazing brand experience. And then I kind of consider what can we do at base which strengthens our message, you know, our brand, strengthens what we do. How can I kind of get inspiration from these ideas and incorporate into our business? Um, those are some of the little things that I do, and I think that's, that's kind of served us pretty well. Um, yeah, become a study of, of top businesses in any field. Yeah, I love getting on the, on the internet and surfing and looking at what other businesses are doing and then saying, wow, I really love that. How can I um, change that to suit my community and implement something similar? Um, I love doing that as well. Let's talk about brand and culture. Um, I did a podcast with uh, Katrina Pilkerton and where we spoke about you know diversity and inclusion. In your opinion, do you feel that brands treat all cultures equally or do you feel that there's still a lot of brands out there that are just um, using or preferring to use white people as opposed to stepping into other cultured areas because you're in Asia okay mm. so you know this this is a, a fair enough question what what do you think looking at the local market here it's Mostly it's Asian models that you would see, of course, you know, that would yeah. make sense. There's not many foreigners here. And um, so I would say it's, it's 
not particularly diverse and it's mostly Asians that are used here in Thailand. I think it's uh, looking from afar, and this is just what I can see, when I look afar at the big brands in the US, let's say your Soul Cycles, your Barrett's Boot Camps, for me, when I look at the big brands, it, it looks to me as though it's fairly diverse. Yeah. I see people from different races, I see male and female, it looks fairly um, equally represented. So from what I can see from afar, only looking at the big brands, I would say that it looks like they're doing not too bad a job. Now, of course, I don't live in like a city in the US that might be a little bit out of the way and see what they do with their, their, their marketing and their branding. So it's a little bit difficult for me to comment on that. But from what I see, I don't think we do a terrible job in the fitness industry. Yeah. But hey, that's just my observations from afar. We're always we're always learning and I just think at the moment it's really great to open up that conversation so that people you know, people with own brands can start to look at their own branding and perhaps say, you know, perhaps we should open the doors of opportunity to other races and start to expose those in that into our, our marketing. Jack, yeah, we are very, sorry to cut that now, but we are actually very diverse here at base because we have a lot of Thai coaches that are half a, a different race, so either yeah. half Thai, half American, um, so it, it has, has a very international feel, our team of coaches, so it actually looks very diverse, but that wasn't something that we consciously planned, yeah. you know, it ended up, the people that were applying were very international, and so the Thais that we have are also very international, and most of them speak English, often is their first language, or they grew up abroad, so just kind of by accident, really, it's become very diverse. At one point, we found it very hard to recruit female coaches. It was just the way the industry was here. There wasn't that many female coaches. We were trying to get more, but we couldn't. And then it just had this massive swing the other way. So fitness became more cool here. There were more young people that wanted to get into the industry. There were more people taking moves away from more traditional roles, such as being an accountant or working in an office in some way, and were coming into fitness. And so suddenly we had a big swing the other way towards lots of female coaches applying. So now we're pretty much 50-50 in terms of male and female. And that's the kind of way that I, I prefer it. It's just sort of hopefully you have an open mind, you only recruit people based on how good they are at the job and whether they'd be a good fit for you and your company. And then you would hope that there is you know, equal representation. If there's not, then you know you can make steps and take measures to maybe make your team more diverse. So I guess we've been quite fortunate in that by just recruiting the best for the job, it's actually ended up with being a diverse uh, workforce at base. So with um, the Asian market then, let's just say I was coming into the Asian market, let's do Jack, um, I want to open up uh, a franchise that's for, for women only. What is the type of advice that you would give to somebody like me in regards to recruitment and culture? Yeah, so I think there's actually a big opportunity for gyms in Asia that are women's only. A friend of mine in Hong Kong, Alex Safina, has a gym called Perform that does extremely well there. I think it's good to have a concept that goes deeper than women only. So for Perform in Hong Kong, their concept is women that are serious about strength training or strength and conditioning. And so it's not, you know, fluffy pink dumbbells or anything like that. It actually looks pretty rugged, pretty raw. They don't mess around there. And so they've gone a little bit deeper than just saying, okay, it's a women's only gym. So I think you, you do still need that in the more developed markets in Asia. And then I think, you know, you have to go through the same process that you go through with any company, really, whether it's male gym or female gym or both or, you know, any kind of concept, which is knowing what you stand for, knowing the values of your company and kind of recruiting based on that. 
And, you know, I think if, if you know what you stand for as a person, if those initial first few team members of your team are on the same page with that, then it kind of makes that process much easier and you can develop a much stronger culture. So, yeah, I guess in, in summary, have a strong concept, know what you do, know what's different about that and how you stand out regardless of it's a women's only gym or anything else. And then also know what you stand for as a team. What are your personal values? And that will help you to kind of build the right team and to bring on the right kind of people. Do you think it's hard for an outsider, when I use the word outsider, I mean somebody that lives outside of Asia, to actually come to Asia and set up a business? There are difficulties, yes. It does definitely depend on the country. You know, Singapore would be very business friendly. I think Thailand is also not too bad. It's pretty business friendly. From what I've heard, India is very, very difficult, you know, almost impossible as a foreigner. China has a lot of barriers as well. So it definitely depends on the territory. I'm sure it's harder than in Australia or the UK in some respects, you know, language barriers, cultural barriers for sure, when you recruit people can be quite difficult. Um, but then I think, yeah, I think one of the advantages, let's say, is there's not so much um, bureaucracy to go through to open a business in Thailand actually than there is in the UK, say, just in terms of like health and safety and licenses that are needed and special insurances that are needed as well. So of course we do everything to make sure that, you know, base was built in the right way and that it was safe. There's just not so many crazy hoops to jump through in terms of opening a business. So I'd say easier or harder, a little bit hard to say. I think just certainly different. I think you have to ask yourself, are you willing to go into a foreign land you know, deal with people that don't speak your language and open a business there. Like either that sounds really cool and exciting to you or that just sounds really, really scary. And if it's scary, I would say, you know, look at opening a business in your home country. For me, it was where I'd lived for 10 years. So that made it seem a little bit easier for sure. And it kind of seemed exciting to me. And I brought on the right business partners to help me through some of those difficult parts as well. And as you and I both know, it's not a vacation, is it? It's not like you're going to another country for a vacation. You were there to set up a business <laughs> and, you, and you want success. Um, funnily, yeah. funnily enough, I think a lot of my friends think I'm just on a massive holiday. <laughs> like a 15-year um, holiday, like even now. They'll come and visit. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, come down to the islands for a month. And I'm like, you know, I can't really do that. I, I have a job and I have a business to run. So, yeah, funny, absolutely. It? It's a job. I work full-time hours and the rest. <laughs> it's funny when... Um, when you yeah, when you hear things like that, listen, Jack, you've got three locations. You know, you've been, uh, you've won Asia's Gym of the Year. You're a, a sponsored athlete by Avidat. So Let's just talk a little bit about those. You've got three locations. Do you see yourself expanding to that four, five, and six? Yeah, I would love to. That was a big plan for this year. We really want to take our concepts international. And so for us, that means Singapore. And the reason we want to go to Singapore is because we see a step up from Bangkok. I consider Bangkok like a second tier city in terms of fitness in Asia, with Hong Kong and Singapore sitting a little bit above Bangkok. And so I really want to try our concepts in a more developed market. You know, people say Singapore's busy, people say it's saturated, there's tons of gyms there, but that for me is actually a good thing because I believe we created something so special with base. I actually want to throw it into a busy market and see how it does and actually compete against some of those big top players that are present in that city. So that really excites me. That really excites us as a team and turns us on. But of course, with the current situation, it looks like that's going to be pushed out to next year. But I kind of feel like I have to do that. You know, I, I, I could not try in Singapore, I think. Um, Hong Kong, I think, is a bit harder now. The landscape there is a bit more difficult. Um, I think Singapore rental rates are a little bit more reasonable as well. So we're going to kind of let the dust settle, and then we will look towards that international expansion, depending on what the world looks like in six months, of course. 
stay positive and all you, all you need to do now is just to start to create that foundation for Singapore because I think 2021 is going to be um, a fantastic landscape for a lot of entrepreneurs like yourself and I don't doubt that you know you'll have great success in Singapore. I personally love Singapore so if you need any help, yell out. Um, moving <laughs> So how did you won Asia's Gym of the Year? How did it feel? Yeah, it was awesome. It really was. It wasn't really expected. We submitted an application to this big awards that was going on, and there were all the top gyms there, you know, Fitness First and some of other big box names and some really strong boutiques. And so we, we submitted an application. It was a uh, 40% was from public votes and 60% was from industry judges, of which we didn't know any. So we didn't really expect much. We got shortlisted for the awards. We were like, okay, that's cool. We'll fly to that and go to Jakarta. But we didn't really expect to take home what was the biggest awards in the ceremony, which was Gym of the Year. Um, as it happened, we, we won. I guess the judges were impressed by the application that we put in. I think we developed a really strong online presence by then. So I think our social media was looking really good and our website was slick and we were already getting kind of good reviews and we built up a good reputation. So I think on the strength of that, we managed to win the award. And so then, you know, we went on a big PR blitz when we came back. You know, we got in Time Media. I was interviewed on a ton of podcasts. And yeah, it was just a really exciting time for base. I think it was good for us all to know that the hard work that we put in the first two years was recognized on the international stage. And it was also a really cool moment, I think, for Thailand's fitness industry. And that was kind of the angle that we used for our PR push in Thailand. And I think that helped to get us uh, you know, a lot of coverage. And you know, it helps a lot of people feel good that the Thai industry was being recognized on the international stage and that it was kind of being put out there. So yeah, super proud for us and super proud for Thailand's fitness industry as well. And great for recruitment because everybody would want to be part of the base journey too. Yeah, funny you should say that. We had an applicant the other day. She's um, actually been studying in the States and she's stuck here. So she's looking for a job for a year. And she's, I said, you know, how did you find out about base? And she's like, oh, I wanted to get something in the fitness industry. So I had a look online and I saw you guys were Asians during the year. And I thought that was awesome. And I was like, brilliant. You know, it kind of helps us maybe recruit someone for the company. So, yeah, it definitely helps us to stand out. Definitely helps to position us at the top. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It definitely is a big draw for people. Definitely. Now tell us, how did you become a sponsored athlete for Adidas? Yeah, so it's actually our team that's sponsored. So yeah. BASE is sponsored. So we are kind of, I guess, all sponsored athletes at BASE. So our coaches get uh, head-to-toe gear every three months from Adidas. It's a really strong and fruitful partnership for both people. The way that we got our foot in the door was my business partner has a retail chain in Thailand. So he was one of the, he's actually the first business partner that I got on to set up BASE. So he had an existing relationship with Adidas through his retail store. So he kind of nudged the door open a little bit. I had to go in and present our brand, what we were doing, the vision for the company, our target market, and they just bought into it. You know, I think the strength of having my business partner on board, the experience, the five years experience that I had at the time in the fitness industry, and then the strength of our presentation to them on what we were going to do, how it was going to represent Adidas in the best way possible. They kind of bought into all of that. They then had to take it to like a regional, um, to get confirmed regionally. So it had to go beyond Thailand because it was quite a big decision. They've not sponsored any other gyms in Thailand. Fortunately, they bought into it. They've been with us since day one. We've done some incredible events with them. You know, they've been a fantastic partner to work with. They give our coaches, as I said, head-to-toe gear every three months so that we can represent their brand in the best possible way. And it's just kind of been everything that a partnership should be. Yeah. You know, of course, all partnerships should be win-win, and it's certainly been that. That's great to hear, Jack. I mean, that's a great collaborative story. I've got three questions. Now, the first two you'll be able to answer right away. straight away. Favourite food in Thailand? 
I will go with Pegra Power Guy. And you probably don't know what that is. It's a like minced chicken, but it has these spices and basil. And I usually have an egg on top. And you usually have it with rice. Yeah, definitely my favorite local dish. And perhaps uh, the Jack Thomas uh, cooking show could be coming to base after doing that. <laughs> probably not. No, I usually find that out. Yeah, very rarely when I cook that here ever myself. And your favorite, your favorite book? I will go with. I will go with Man Up by Bedra Skoulian. Uh, he was one of the first podcasts that I listened to. I really loved the stuff that he put out. And yeah, just really enjoyed his book. It just tells a lot about his story, how he's built his business up. He's definitely someone that I look up to in the industry. So yeah, Man Up by Bedra Skoulian. Love that. Now, Jack, in closing, let's assume that there's some young entrepreneurs out there listening to Jack Thomas right now. As a mentor, what would be the best advice that you could give them? I'll speak specifically to fitness entrepreneurs, and that would be to not underestimate the business side of what you're getting into. Really embrace that. Really love the business side because you'll need to to make a success of it. And also, almost become obsessed about being the very best that you can be and offering the very best service you can to your clients, to your members. And if you're making that transition from a coach, do not underestimate how big that jump is. And be at peace with the fact that you might not be coaching down the line. And that's a good thing. And that's a step forward for you. And that's progress. Um, so, yeah, once once you have that realization for everything you have into it, embrace that business side. And, you know, I believe that with hard work and the right attitude, you know, anyone can potentially make a success of it. That's fantastic advice from Jack. Now, I don't doubt that Jack would be interested, perhaps, perhaps interested in mentoring. So, Jack, where is the best place for our audience to get in touch with you? Anyone can send an email through jack at basebangkok.com. That will come directly through to me. Um, that's probably the best way. Yeah, Instagram, Jack T. Base or Base Bangkok, Fitness Business Asia. You can connect with me anywhere on those channels as well. I'm pretty easy to find. LinkedIn's another one, Jack Thomas. Uh, slash, LinkedIn slash Fitness Business Asia. You can find me on LinkedIn, another easy way to get in touch. Fantastic. So this morning I spoke to Jack Thomas, who is the founder and CEO of BASE and, of course, the host of Fitness Business Asia podcast. Jack, thank you so much for your time this morning. I've actually enjoyed, really enjoyed speaking to you and I'm looking to catching up with you over the next couple of weeks. And I'll be dropping all of Jack's details into the bottom of our podcast so that you can get a hold of him. Now, if you want to if you want to listen to some of Jack's podcasts, he's on Apple, Spotify. And, of course, as you heard him say, jump on to uh, make contact with him on LinkedIn or on Facebook and you can grab his podcast links there. Again, thank you for your time this morning, Jack. Thank you very much, Mark. Absolute pleasure. Glad we got around to doing this and looking forward to getting you on the Fitness Business Asia podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Jack. Cheers, Matt.